Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here. If it's your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here and joining us this morning. I hope you felt welcome. Um, I just want to say from me, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Uh, my mom is up working in Salt Kids right now, so I don't get to tell her happy Mother's Day from the stage, but I already told her. And my beautiful wife, happy Mother's Day, Kristen. <laughs> um, but every uh, everyone in this room, I know today can be obviously a very interesting day uh, for a lot of people. And uh, this is my third Mother's Day as pastor of Salt Church, and uh, I just want to tell all the moms in this room, I hope you feel loved today. Um, for some of you, uh, this might be your first year ever as a mom. We dedicated 19 kids last fall. Uh, you could be one of them. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, for some of you, you're still waiting on that day to come. Um, I want to tell you there's so many moms at this church that are just solid, solid women that you have to look up to. Uh, you're blessed to be at this church. Uh, some of you, that day might not ever come. Uh, I want you to know that God is always near to you. Uh, some of you, this might be the first year where you don't have your mom. Uh, please know that God brings comfort in the midst of pain. Uh, other moms, you're just flat out tired. Uh, I watch my wife every day. Being a mom's not easy. I hope today your husband takes care of you, gets some rest. Uh, wherever you're at in your journey of motherhood, uh, God sees you in the day-to-day. -day. Uh, he sees you in the mundane things that you do. He sees you doing dishes. He sees you doing laundry. Uh, some of you work a job to provide for your family. He sees you doing that. Some of you have wayward children. He sees you on your knees praying for them. Uh, God is right beside you in every single area of your life. Uh, so I hope today you're encouraged that you get rest. Uh, this world would not be the same without women in it. Trust me, I go to men's conferences and there's something lacking from that. Um, it would be a terrible place and this church wouldn't be where it's at without the women of Salt Church and the moms of Salt Church. Uh, so happy Mother's Day. Um, so hey, we're continuing our series this morning on the Sermon on the Mount and we are almost done with it. And uh, if you've been here since the church launched, in uh, January 10th, 2021, uh, you know I'm pretty notorious for being a terrible planner when it comes to writing up my preaching calendar. Uh, I don't always schedule Mother's Day, okay? So in 2021, it was my first Mother's Day. I was ever the pastor of a church. I got up here and I preached on sexual immorality. Uh, well, like dudes brought their moms and they're just like, bro, like glaring at me, okay? Last year, I got a little bit better. We were in the middle of a marriage series, uh, but I was like, men, crucify the desires of the flesh. That was last year's Mother's Day message. Uh, today, I'm talking about how if, uh, those who don't bear good fruit are cut off and they're thrown into the fire. So we're just uh, rocking with it, uh, preaching. We preach through books of the Bible. We got to keep it moving around here. So uh, next year, uh, I plan my preaching calendar in like December. One of you just shoot me an email. Be like, hey, Mother's Day is May 12th, 2024. I'll talk about Lois or somebody like that. So, um, but seriously, this morning is all about uh, Jesus warning us uh, who and what we allow to speak into our lives. Uh, as a pastor of this church, sometimes, I'm not going to lie, it keeps me up at night wondering what you all do when you leave here. Uh, you walk out those doors, and I'm like, okay, I hope for the best. Uh, I wonder, what do you watch? What do you listen to? Uh, who do you allow to give you advice in your life? Uh, all those things, all the voices, the noise that we have when we leave these doors. Uh, this morning, Jesus is going to give us a pretty clear warning. Uh, we're going to see that the slightest bit that we move away from him, uh, it's just ever so subtly that we move away from him, can have damaging consequences to it. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. Uh, while you do that, let me open us in a word of prayer. 
Uh, God, I'm grateful for today. Uh, I'm grateful for all the moms in this room and uh, just what they've meant to all of us men. Uh, Lord, I pray today they just feel honored and encouraged. And God, as we open up your word this morning, uh, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds to what it would say. Uh, Lord, that you'd be able to uh, keep us close to you. And Lord, I thank you for such a sweet time of worship. And uh, just over the next 30 minutes or so, just bless everything that comes out of my mouth. Let it be used for your glory. To your name I pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 15. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Then he says, You will recognize them. That's the false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, So it's an imperative command. Jesus starts with a command. He says, Beware of or watch out for, be on guard against. And Jesus tells us to watch out for false prophets. Another way to say that is like false prophets could be false teachers. Uh, People who proclaim a false gospel, a gospel that's contrary to the truth. Uh, Jesus tells us that these people come to us in disguise. Outwardly, they look like innocent sheep, right? But outwardly, they're harmless. But inwardly, uh, they're ravenous wolves. Uh, You have sheep, some of the least aggressive, dumbest animals in the world. And you contrast that with ravenous wolves. And a ravenous wolf doesn't just sit there. A ravenous wolf actually goes out to seek to destroy. Uh, But in the initial sense, they look like sheep. So what are we supposed to do? Jesus tells us here that you're going to recognize them by their fruits. So the passage like this, we have to look at who is Jesus talking to and who is Jesus talking about. Uh, So first off, who is Jesus talking to? Uh, Remember, this sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is given widely to an audience that considers themselves disciples of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. Uh, These people on the mountain that day aren't standing there opposed to what Jesus is saying. Uh, But at the same time, Jesus knew the culture that he was speaking to. He knew the influence of the day. He knows that right on the bottom of that mountain are plenty of religious teachers of that day that are dressed as sheep, but they're attacking all the people he's talking to on that mountain like ravenous wolves. Uh, In a couple weeks, we'll be done with the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to continue to walk through the book of Matthew as a church. Uh, Through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see plenty of times where Jesus comes directly at these wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, But for now, he's just warning his disciples. He's warning his people, hey, you have to look out for men like that. Uh, So that's who he's talking to. Next question is, who's he talking about? Uh, I think when we zoom out, especially in our culture today, the easy thing to do is to take a text like this and we point to people either of like religions that are not Christianity uh, or those who are openly opposed and combative to Christianity. I don't think that's who Jesus is referring to. Notice that these false teachers come upon us subtly, right? They're dressed like sheep, but inwardly they're wolves. Outwardly they look good. Inwardly they're extremely destructive. On the surface, these false prophets or false teachers appear to be Christians, but the minute they start to speak, ever so subtly, their message is anti-gospel. For a second, I just want all of us to be honest with ourselves and see ourselves for who we truly are. Uh, As Jesus' disciples, you read the New Testament, we're constantly referred to as his sheep. Uh, And he is the good shepherd, right? We are his sheep. Again, sheep are like the dumbest animals in the entire world. Uh, But I don't think Jesus refers to us as sheep uh, so we could feel spiritually abused or any of those things. We could have low self-esteem when it comes to our faith. 
The reality is we're called sheep because of our current situation. Uh, from birth, we're born with a sinful nature. Uh, Romans 5.12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So all the way back to Genesis 3, Adam sins, and in that moment that Adam sins, sin enters and mars the world. Death now entered the world in Genesis 3. So from that point forward, uh, every child is now born with a natural seed of Adam, the seed of sin. And that sin, Romans tells us, ultimately leads to death. So you're not born good. You're born into sin. That's who all of us are, me included. Uh, what about the current world that we live in? Uh, what's the landscape of the world? What role does Satan play in this world? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul calls Satan the god of this world. Ephesians 2.2, 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, John 8.44, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, God is the lion, yet Satan prowls around like a lion, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So here we are. We're sheep born with this natural bent towards sin, and we live in a fallen world where the devil is just prowling around. So there you have our current reality. Satan will do anything he can to blind you to the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, Satan will bring things into your life like temptation, like doubt, like guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, any of those things to just simply subtly thwart you from the presence of God's purposes. So that's our reality. We're a fallen people living in a fallen world. Are those of us who are Christians redeemed? Are we saved by the blood of Christ? Yes. Uh, does God have absolute power over Satan right now? Yes. Uh, those things are true. But this is not the new heavens. This is not the new earth. This is not the restored heaven that we're one day going to live in. Uh, one pastor puts it like this. He said, the journey from cradle to grave is a hazardous one, and it's surrounded by perils. The universe is alive with forces hostile to the soul. Uh, when you start to see life in that lens, you start to now take seriously this command in Matthew 7. When Jesus tells us, beware of the false teachers. They might, not, they might look like you, but they're not you. So how as Christians or how as people are we supposed to combat that? Uh, I think we have to take seriously Jesus' command to be on the lookout for these kind of people. But that's hard to do when we have a really hard time seeing the difference ourselves between the real and the counterfeit. Again, this is just the danger in the subtlety of false teachers. Uh, if I'm making counterfeit money in my house, uh, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to make the fake bill uh, look just like the real bill, right? Uh, here's a picture of a fake $20 bill versus a real $20 bill. Uh, it's hard to see, especially if you're sitting way up there in the, the cheap seats. Um, but at first glance, uh, you can't tell real from fake. Uh, I had to like zoom into this on my computer. Uh, if I'm a cashier at Fry's, you hand me either one of these bills, I'm probably just going to take it. I don't know if they still use those highlighter things on the bills or you're real pro, you like hold it up to the light, right? That's why a real trained eye can tell the difference between real and fake. A real trained eye can see the watermark. I think that's Andrew Jackson. I failed history class. His head looks different on the fake one. Okay, that's how it is. Uh, but... I don't have a lot of cash in my house. If I did, I don't just like pull it out and study the intricacies of a $20 bill. 
Uh, This is what Jesus is warning us against. He's saying the problem with most of us is we can't spot the counterfeit gospel because we really don't know what the real gospel looks like. So here's what happens. We don't study scripture. We lack vibrant prayer lives. So we run to things that are easier to read. We run to things that are easier to study. We look at things like tweets, blogs, books that just ever so subtly give these anti-gospel messages. You depend on other people to teach you the Bible. You come here, you depend on me to teach you the Bible. Uh, You get on Instagram, you have short clips on Instagram by Christian pastors who are theologically heretics. Let me just use the example of the show The Chosen, just because I want to ruffle everybody's feathers in here this morning. It's much easier to watch the Bible in TV show form than to just open up the Gospels and read about Jesus yourself. Uh, Every time a new season of The Chosen gets released, my Facebook feed is all, like, all of you. Have you seen The Chosen? You have to watch The Chosen. You know what I never see on Facebook? Any of you ever, like, man, I was reading John 1 the other day, and is it unbelievable how God made himself man and came in the flesh just to be with us? That's just an example of how we run to other things. So don't email me. I'm not telling you don't watch The Chosen, but maybe read the Bible too. What I'm saying is if you don't have foundational knowledge of Scripture about what the truth actually is, then you leave yourself susceptible to the attack of ravenous wolves every single time you run to a third party that might just have these little subtle anti-gospel messages. If that's what shapes you, if that's the things that educate you, if that's what fills you more than Scripture itself, more than Jesus himself, that's not a good thing. Uh, So just to be practical this morning, I want to give us some guide rails, what to look for. Uh, In my preaching, whatever, anybody's preaching you listen to, books you read, ravenous wolves disguised as sheep can be seen by their outward teachings. That's what Jesus says, by their fruit by their outward teachings and the fruit that they bear. So first, their outward teachings. Uh, Subtle differences just kind of creep in. Uh, Here's an example. And these are, again, this is a grid you can run teachers through or books through. Um, Instead of the Bible being held as what it is, it's an inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. Uh, The message is, well, like Adam and Eve aren't really real people. They weren't real. That's just a fable. Uh, God's view on sexuality is completely old school. Certainly the things that the Bible says God didn't mean. He's not culturally relevant. Uh, Instead of mankind being viewed as inherently sinful from birth, man being dead in our trespasses and sins, the message is, no, you're good. You're inherently good. So follow your heart. Your desires should be put first. God wants you to fulfill your vision. Uh, How is Christ on the cross viewed? Was God's wrath poured out on Christ instead of us? Was Christ really our substitute that stood in our place? Or is the message like, ah, God wouldn't pour wrath out on his son. That would make him a cosmic child abuser. Or maybe Jesus is just reduced to like a good teacher, a good guy we can learn things from. He was just a good human being that we could strive to be like. Uh, What does God want from us? Does he want us to follow him fully, to make him Lord of our lives, to walk in obedience to him, to conform into the image of his son? Or is the message, hey, God wants you to be successful. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants your vision for your life to come to fruition. Uh, What's the view on Jesus Christ himself? Was Jesus God in the flesh? Is he the only way to heaven? Or is the message, Jesus wasn't really God. He was just man. He gave up his godness. 
He's not the only way to get to heaven. Remember, you're inherently good. You can find it on your own. Lastly, what's the view on eternity? Are heaven and hell real places that real people go to? Or is the afterlife never thought of? Or is God's justice for sinners never, ever discussed? Is the message all God loves, 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 but there's never anything about God's wrath towards sin? It's these small, like subtle differences, things that sound like Christianity, but completely are contrary to the exclusivity of the Bible. If you study scripture, you see claims that Jesus makes. Every claim that Jesus ever makes about himself is true. And when you hear what Jesus says, you now understand yourself in the redemptive arc of history. You see that Jesus asks us to die to ourselves and live for him. When you don't see those things, when you're blinded by the gospel, when the gospel's not studied, when Christ is not known, what happens is you naturally drift. You never get the correct picture of who Jesus is. You start to believe false things about him or the word. Tragedy then strikes in your life, right? Uh, Your relationship with God feels stale. But you never had a proper view of God to begin with, so what happens? You deconstruct your faith. So be careful who you run to for teaching. There's plenty of wolves dressed up in sheep, like sheep in Christian subculture. Uh, If you're not careful, Jesus says, you'll get devoured. You'll be taught doctrine that's not true, and that will have damaging, damaging effects on your life. So happy Mother's Day. So wolves dressed up as sheep can be identified through the falsehood in their teaching, and secondly, they can be shown by their fruit. Uh, What does Jesus say? Look at the second part of verse 16. Jesus just asked the question. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs gathered from thistles? Again, Jesus is describing subtle deception. Uh, We have to see the context of where Jesus is delivering the sermon in the Middle East, not in Arizona, where all you see out there is like brush. He says, are are grapes gathered from thorn thorn bushes? This is what Jesus is talking about. Uh, So this is called a buckthorn plant. I don't think we have any here. Uh, But you can see on this plant that it grows berries on the end of it that look like grapes. Uh, Problem. If you were to grab some of these or make wine with them, you would die. If you ate some, they're toxic to human beings. Uh, The same would go from specific thistles. That would produce flowers that look like figs. But the closer you got, you start to realize, like, that's not the case. It's the disguise of the fruit. The fact that the fruit looked like one thing, but you bite into it and it's toxic. Uh, Notice what Jesus says. He draws just very clear distinctions in verses 17 and 18. He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Uh, So last week was two gates and two roads. Today, it's two trees and two different kinds of fruit. On one end, you have a healthy tree. The healthy tree bears good fruit. On the other end, you have a diseased tree. The diseased tree bears bad fruit. Notice that the tree is diseased. It's not dead. A dead tree dies and cannot produce fruit. This tree is diseased. It's sick. It's contaminated. The fruit that it's producing is not good fruit. Most likely it's poisonous. And notice how Jesus just reiterates this by basically saying the health of the tree determines the health of the fruit. A healthy tree in its nature cannot produce bad fruit. A diseased tree in its nature cannot produce good fruit. So zoom out one quick second on where Jesus is and who he's talking to. Uh, Remember, we're in the context of talking about recognizing false teachers. 
In the spiritual landscape of Jesus' day, you had these people called the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who knew everything. They were utterly diseased people. They had no idea how to love others well. They had no idea how to properly see Jesus or interpret his teachings. They had no idea how to like not burden their people with these crazy expectations. They were simply legalists, not just following the rules, but they're bending the rules to fit their preferences. Under them were the disciples of the Pharisees. Big Pharisees making little Pharisees. So you had bad trees producing bad fruit. You contrast that with Jesus. Jesus is the best teacher that's ever lived. The Son of God sent to earth to fulfill the role of prophet for God's people. Here you see Jesus teach a crowd of hundreds on the mountain that day. But then what does he do? He gets off the mountain, he pours into 12 other men, which were his disciples, and then 11 of them go on and start the Christian church. That's a healthy teacher producing healthy fruit. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. It's a truthful question. Who are we following? Who do you follow? Jesus is warning us. Be careful who you hitch your wagon to. Be careful who you listen to. You are the sum of everyone that you allow to influence you. So this morning, think just for a second about who do I allow to speak into my life? Then the question should be, are they teaching me right things? Are they bearing healthy fruit? Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to bear fruit? What are the fruits that one should bear? Uh, I don't think we have to look very far. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 with these things called Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitudes are character qualities that mark a follower of Christ, fruitful marks of a believer, uh, things that we aren't taught to become as kids in modern day America. So view this through the lens of like everything you allow to speak into your life, uh, does it fit these qualities? Uh, Things like Jesus tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit is taking a posture every single day, understanding that you're spiritually bankrupt and it's only God's righteousness that gets you by. What's the opposite of being poor in spirit? It's arrogance. It's a person with knowledge that puffs up. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The person who counsels you, the book that guides you, the person who gives you life advice. How's their spiritual life? Do they seek a holy life? Do they seek the things of Christ? Is the hunger to be transformed by Christ and make disciples? Or is there hunger in knowing things that can manipulate you? Uh, Things like Jesus says, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Those people that influence you, are they self-controlled? Do they care for the things that God cares for? Or is everything an opportunity to draw these lines of separation of like, hey, we're on this side, they're on that side, we don't talk. Uh, Is the main seed that that person tries to to sow is unity, or is it disunity within the church? Do they have a gossiping spirit? Are they judgmental? Uh, You start to see the things that you allow to speak into your life will either shape you to be a follower of Christ, or they're going to shape you to be a mirror of what the world looks like. There are a lot of people who claim Christ who don't act anything like him, so look for the fruit in who they are. If it's not there, do not seek counsel from that person. Uh, Jesus leaves us with just a real chipper warning. Uh, He says in verse 19, every single tree, not like some trees, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. I know it's Mother's Day. I know you all want to get to brunch or lunch or whatever. Uh, I just want to be transparent with you this morning because I think I know my church. Uh, It's been so hard to watch as a pastor to see people who come here week after week 
Uh, you hear the gospel taught, you go to Bible study, you learn to study it, you get plugged into a group, but there's no transformation that takes place in your life. You surround yourself with these spiritual activities, but you're far more influenced by Christian wolves or the world than you actually are godly people or Christ himself. In this passage this morning, Jesus is warning us to be careful because allowing subtly wrong things into your life can have damaging consequences. Here's what I want to tell you this morning that's good news. If you're a Christian in this room, you're forgiven and you're loved by God this morning. When he sees you, you stand before God as righteous. So when you leave here and when life hits you in the face, sometime this week or this month or this year, when something bad happens, when your relationships become a mess, if someone dies, if you lose your job, you have a wayward child, your standing before God never changes. Those aren't punishments from God. Bad things in your life is not a way for God to shake his fist at you. God is still good and God still loves you unconditionally through the good times and the bad times. Those things are not God testing you. Those things are there to produce endurance in your life. And Romans 5 tells us that endurance produces character and character produces hope in Christ. In John 16, he looks at his disciples and he says, look, you're guaranteed to have troubles in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the God that saved you. That's the God that we serve. But here's the danger when you don't have that right. When you don't have right gospel-centered influences in your life, when Christ is not your firm foundation, those same things, the bad things happen in life. And we've spent years never allowing the gospel to take root in our hearts. Then we go to seek help from things that are unhealthy trees, and in turn, we become unhealthy. Next thing you know, you're far from God. Next thing you know, that faith that you thought was once so stable is completely gone, all because you never knew the true God to begin with. So to end this with some practical things this morning, take inventory of the influences of your life. If those things are positive, if they're gospel-centered, keep that in your life. If it's the opposite, get it out of your life because the damage it can do to you could be destructive. Your Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, things aren't going to move as fast as you want them to. God's not going to answer every single prayer that you've ever prayed. Sometimes, church, we walk through seasons of suffering that no good book, or I can't knock a sermon out of the park enough on a Sunday that's going to get you out of that thing. Uh, to close, I just want to clearly share the gospel this morning. Because at the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all that we need. Uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. When you break your faith down to its core, this is the story of who God is and who we are in him. Nothing needs to be added to this. At creation, you have a holy God made us in his image so that we can know him so that we can have a relationship with him. That's Genesis 2. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And in that moment, they cut off not only themselves, but every human being that's born after that out of relationship with God. But God loves us. God wants relationship with us. He wants fellowship with us. So he becomes a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies a brutal death on the cross, 
When Jesus is dying on the cross, he's taking on himself the punishment for the sins that all of us in this room have ever committed. He brought those upon himself on the cross. He took those sins on himself as a sacrifice. To make it personal, he took your sins as a sacrifice to you and nailed those things to the cross. He dies. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Forty days later, ascends into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father to show his completed work that he did here on earth. God accepts the sacrifice of his son on the cross and then declares his wrath gone for all of those who will ever believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He declares his wrath gone. He will not pour it out on you. Then he sends us the Holy Spirit who's sent to us and calls all of us in this room. If you're not a Christian in this room, he's calling you today to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's only Jesus Christ who forgives you. It's only Jesus Christ's sacrifice that saves you. It is only Jesus Christ that you can trust. And when you do that, the Bible tells us we are born into new life. When you are born again in Christ, even though one day you will die, you are guaranteed to spend eternity with God. If you are a Christian, all of those things are true of you. You don't need a book. You don't need a podcast. You don't need me up here. You have no greater joy than what comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as your pastor, I'm begging you this morning, beware of the people that you go listen to the things that you put in your mind that just ever so subtly will tilt you off of where that is. The people that ever so subtly want to destroy you. Run to Christ. He's all you need and he is the one who saved you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for how great you are. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the fact that the fall happens in Genesis 3 and then you send your son so we can have redemption for the sins that we commit. Uh, God, I pray for the non-believer in this room, Lord, somebody who doesn't know you, maybe they're just a guest today, Uh, I pray that the gospel is abundantly clear, Uh, Lord, that we see that it's your son's work on the cross that can save us, Uh, it's the only thing that can rescue us from our sins. Uh, Father, I pray for the people who uh, leave here and they're just simply misguided by different things. Um, Father, I pray that they can understand the gospel for what it is. Uh, And Lord, see that nothing has to be taken away from that. Nothing has to be added to it. Uh, Lord, you're all that we want. You're all that we need. Uh, God, you're amazing. And so, Lord, I just pray that you work in this room. Um, Just the bondage that takes place in a lot of our minds, our hearts. Uh, Father, I pray that you break those things. Uh, Lord, that we can run to you. That you can be the thing that satisfies us. So, God, just work your will this morning. And work on our hearts just to know you and turn our lives in complete control of you this morning. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.